0: Enjoy local voices, enjoy local opinions, all on one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast DC is the new local app with hundreds
1: of DC area podcasts, featuring some of the DC area's best personalities, pundits, and provocateurs. Earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts you love instantly. With new programs being added every week, don't hesitate. Download Podcast DC now for free. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Podcast DC. Listen local. It loud Network and Mino Lion Media presents Business First. Hi, all. Glad you all could be here with us today. What I'd like to discuss is the business of advocacy. This last year has been a really tough year for a lot of us. We've had to reexamine how we think about a lot of things, race, the economy and how race has impacted all of those things. I mean, people of color, we've known this for ever. We've known this for our entire existence here in this country. Uh, but the, the pandemic the racial protests over the last year, the death of George Floyd and many others has really come to the forefront of everything. And and we've all been looking at this. And so there are others of us though, who have made this their life's calling and their business. And one of them is our guest today. And her name is Anyawu, who is head and founder of The Human Root, which is an organization created to interrupt bias and isms in communities and institutions. How are you today?
0: I'm blessed. I think that um, when someone asks me how I'm, eyes, you know, we're talking about being an entrepreneur. And as you know, there's no consistency. So you got to be balanced regardless. So I would say I'm solid.
1: <laughs> oh, that's, that, that's great. That's great. We've been hitting all of these anniversaries, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to believe that it's been over a year. Right. Since we've been dealing with the pandemic and um, and with a number of things, all the racial strife that has been going on. And so what has this past year looked like for you?
0: Well, for me, it's been really layered. You know, a powerful conversation we had once upon a time was about how entrepreneurship is self-care. And I think that a lot of people would be like, what? That's crazy. Entrepreneurship is stressful. It, it, it drives me thin, like all these different ways of expressing what the struggle in surviving and creating resilience and entrepreneurship is. But I think being in the business of self-care in this last year has really taught me what it takes for me to take my business to a whole nother level. This last year, I had a health crisis about I started to go into a spiral about two, three months before COVID became and, and the pandemic became a reality for everybody else. And so I was already in isolation and I was already struggling with my health from before that. But no one knew about it. No one knew how much I was struggling because I was still performing out in the world. And um, this year I've learned that if I love who I am and what I do as much as I say I do, that means the self-care has to come first for my business to thrive exponentially. And so that's really been this focus in the last year. And it's allowed me to expand my dreams and understand my vision on a whole nother level. I'm glad
1: you brought up self-care as an important kind of tenant of of entrepreneurship for you, because that did surprise me when we had a conversation a couple of years ago about what that was. And so can you explain to the audience, like when you say entrepreneurship is self-care, what that actually means to not only to you, but what I'm sure, it means to other people that they just haven't
0: maybe realized it yet. Yeah. So the work that I do is surrounded around being aware of how people and places are engaging with the body, the mind, the spirit, and how resourceful you can be to yourself, as well as how sustainable you are in the services or the work that you provide. And we say, What's happening to you, and how does it feel, and what do you need to be a better you in the workplace or in the spaces of the people that you serve? So then, if that's what my company's doing, I had to ask my myself that question when my health started to go up and down. I I suffer sometimes. I don't like using the word suffer. I overcome on a regular basis the experience of having PTSD. And um, over the course of about, you know, 12 plus months, I was in a deep crisis with PTSD. Everything from sound and light sent me into a spiral experience of stress. And When everything started happening this year around race, around violence, around healthcare, and the demographics of who gets served and how they get served in healthcare became a reality for everyone. And that became the conversation. What I started to realize was that, oh, everyone's gonna start catching the the wave that I'm on. So my experience is I'm a woman, I love being a woman. And also I present more masculine than most people would like. And so they add words like gay, lesbian, and other forms of hatred that, so those are just labels, but there's also words of hatred and behaviors and hatred and discrimination I experienced, just walking through life every day. And so from that, as well as being Black in a place like America or anywhere in the world, I started to realize I had to protect myself. And the best way to protect myself was engaging in what it meant to strive for my freedom. And that meant I had to work for myself. I had to be my own boss and I could regulate my own hours. And so everything from not dealing with being commodified by white women in nonprofits or the experience of men having uneasiness because I'm an assertive, confident woman that has no reason to attack you, which can be uncomfortable for some people because they have an expectation of what power should look like. I just got really tired. My spirit got tired of experiencing people reacting to just my mere existence and that intervening on what was possible in the workplace for me. Um, My last straw was I had an executive director in a space. I was a social justice director in an educational space at a school and it was a black woman. And the way that she engaged with me, it broke my heart because I was like, I usually experience this from white folks around racism. And at that point, I was like, even when I'm in the most trusted, safest position, so I think I'm not safe. And that was the day I started to realize you've been an entrepreneur since you were nine years old as a way to just engage in what feels good to you. Now it's time to do it 100%. And that's how the human root got started.
1: Um, you talk about managing PTSD. Do you mind uh, sharing with the audience the, the cause of that PTSD?
0: Yeah. So October of 2012. um, At the time, I was in graduate school. I was uh, majoring in human rights education in San Francisco. And on my extra time, I was also doing some activism around protesting for black men being murdered, as well as doing teachings at Occupy around human human rights, as well as how to protect yourself in protest spaces. And during that time, I was in my last semester of school, and I I had multiple jobs paying my way through school. And um, I got in my car. one night, And all of a sudden, as soon as I turned on the ignition, three o'clock, three something in the morning, I just started hearing gunshots back to back, not like the repetitively. And I thought it was down the block and it was my car. Two individuals had been waiting for a long period of time, I assume because they were sitting ducks waiting for me to come. And, um... As soon as I turned on my ignition, they came out of the bushes and just started shooting at my, my car multiple times. In the incident, my car flipped over because I was in the midst of pulling out of the parking space. One bullet went through my shoulder and came out through my chest and impacted one of my lungs. Another went through my, other, my shoulder as well and broke my scapula. Another one went through my right arm through and through and gave me radial nerve damage. And for a long period of time, I couldn't use my body from the waist up. And for a longer period of time, I couldn't even write or brush my teeth. Regular things. Um, regular routine is still something I'm trying to figure out how to do, how everyone else is, most people are able to do on a regular basis. And so that incident, that shooting, just changed my life overnight, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all together. And so before that, I was I was really passionate around justice. And after that, I had to think about how do you use your passion for justice to not only support you and put money on the table while also feeling like you're creating a safe circumstance, regardless how passionate you are around justice.
1: Surviving that, how were you not able to walk away? How are you able to, to continue and now create an organization like The Human Root to persist in the work that might have triggered or or could have triggered your trauma to
0: begin with. One, I'd like to mention that, you know, after the shooting, when you were a black person with the letters GSW for gunshot wound on any of your medical documents or anything connected to you, the level of discrimination you experience exponentially grows. So you got to imagine I'm in this place of suffering, pain and hardship. And, you know, my life was turned upside down overnight. I didn't even get to finish getting my thesis after finishing all my grad school courses. So after all of that and getting that discrimination, you got to start asking, yourself how do I manage a world that doesn't even want me in it and um, what I found was one you cannot escape what you are born to do I was a little kid in school as a conflict mediator in elementary school. You know, I was um, president of everything you can think of from the BSU to student body president to, you know, doing work around justice in my neighborhood, around health and around community forms of community violence and entrepreneurship as a teenager. And so I just always been in the mix. To be honest with you, I was on stage with Maya Angelou at 16 as a keynote speaker as a young person. So like these were the things happening me happening with me while I was also battling poverty as a young person. So if I was doing it as a kid even with economical challenges there's just no way that anything that comes my way is going to interfere with my truth and my what I what I'm here to do, I was just lucky enough to choose that what I'm here to do and what I do vocationally every day has to be the same thing. or I would spend myself thin because it's almost like I can't help it.
1: Um, so I want to look at some of these uh, the, the tenets that you have or these principles that you have around entrepreneurship. So we, we discussed the first one, which is which is self-care. Which is having people understand that directing their own life, directing how they make money, particularly in this racist environment, can be maybe the as tough as it is, the best form of self-care that you can <laughs> um, create for yourself.
0: Yeah, I want to add, to for listeners, because I feel like this is a time where people, people have been asking me this question, like, you do this work where you work for yourself, you're your own boss, but how did you let go? how did you walk away? And to some people, this might seem extreme. But when I say walk away, I mean walking away from the plantation. And I'm not trying to say we're in the middle of slavery right now, because that's an extremely different experience. But the economy of slavery has never changed. The economy of using human beings for labor, regardless of responsibility and accountability for those human beings has continued and grown and actually been able to work behind a veil that we're all participating in. Even as an entrepreneur, I still Participate in it to some degree. It's almost un- impossible not to. But walking away, I believe, means that you know that it exists and you know you're in it, but you take choice about how you participate, putting yourself first, not the institution first, not the money first, not your boss first, not the outcomes first, but knowing that you're taking care of your sustainability first. And because of that, you're going to be your best self. So I have some stages that I think come from both me being an athlete growing up, as well as me being someone that is focused on my spiritual practices to keep me strong. So I have entrepreneurship is self-care as the foundation. Just know that that's where you got to start. Got to start taking care of you first by having the ability to resource yourself under your command. No one else's. Then... The other, three sta- the other four stages is one, conditioning, two, developing endurance, three, tightening up all the things you got going on, and four, taking the risk. But I really bring you through those stages in different ways. So when I say conditioning, I'm talking about nurturing the struggle. We already know this is difficult. We already know this is challenging. Actually, it doesn't even matter what we're doing. There's going to be challenge if you go for it. So if you know that, condition your being to be able to take on the struggle that's going to come no matter what, especially as an entrepreneur because you have your best day and your worst day all in 24 hours and so remembering that if you've done the work the wealth is within you and what that means is is that if i'm at the gym working out every day or if i'm at the table doing my research or if i'm writing that business plan or I'm searching my market if i did the work when a struggle hits me for me to not get confused by the struggle and think I'm smaller or weak but to understand that struggle is intimidating and I might feel smaller and weak so feel Feeling small and weak is not the same thing as being. And I say this because if you've been doing the work, those moments where you feel small or weak, remembering that you've been conditioning and sharpening your skills, meaning tomorrow is you'll wake up with that same wealth within you. So when my health crisis got really bad last year and I started to have panic attacks and anxiety attacks about my company crumbling, I had to remember everything in my company comes from who I am. It comes from the journeys I've experienced, the scholarly work that I've done, the ways that I've overcome politics or bias or discrimination, and then my know-how around the hard skills, growing money, growing wealth, organizing, managing operations. Those are things that no matter what, they live inside me because I did the practice. I didn't go the easy route. And that's why people that have really attained accomplishment tells you there's no shortcuts. So that's the first stage. You nurture the struggle by conditioning your skills so that when the struggle comes to you for real, you already know you got it, even when you're scared.
1: Which means staying in this process of making sure that you're always sharp. So it's also even in the midst of while you're figuring out, you know, how you're going to make payroll Mm -hmm. or how you're going to get this next account, you still have to be doing the work for yourself as well. Yes. And this is also
0: creating the energy of um, manifestation. And
1: so what is, what is that, that next one of, um, I believe you call it enduring the struggle.
0: Yeah. So the endurance piece is like, there's going to be a setback. And the only reason why I'm calling it setback is because I have to talk the same language as everybody else. But that's actually your opportunity. That's opportunity for you to put yourself into practice. And I, I want to remind our listeners that I'm not talking about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps or any of that madness around having to be a robot and not be human. I'm actually talking about, one, remembering that you're human, remembering that you've done the work. And so when it gets hard pushing through and enduring that struggle, letting it hurt a little bit. I remember when I started to take care of my rehabilitation stage in the last three months, and I started going to the gym with the rehab um, trainer. It was like one week I was doing this workout and my bones was hurting, my muscles were hurting. But then the next week I was able to do it without that pain. And so the enduring, the setback is to say, yeah, this hurts, but I'm learning how to do this hurt so that the next time it comes up, it doesn't have to hurt. It might be hard, but it won't hurt me the next time it comes up because it's going to keep coming because you got to keep growing. And if you're not in the business of being business for yourself for growing, you might want to think about why you're doing it because you might just be turning your wheels and chasing, chasing air because you got to be having a plan to be moving towards a direction so that you can completely know where you are.
1: I had dinner with an artist last week and he said that he created an acronym out of FAIL. Um, mm-hmm. It says first attempt in learning
0: yes and that's so, exactly
1: what I mean as soon as you said it it reminded me of the conversation we had that every time we consider an obstacle or failure or a a, a roadblock, It's really just another opportunity to learn something different, learn something new uh, and discover something, discover a new way of doing something.
0: I'll give an example of the people that could possibly let themselves get knocked over at this point. And hopefully when we're sharing this, it'll give them an opportunity to remind themselves of what I'm trying to say. I used to be I used to do a lot of youth development work and I'd have these teenagers that grew up in a hood that had circumstances that would tell them that they wouldn't make it to out of high school, they wouldn't make it past the age of 18 to be alive. Or if you went to college, you got to go the easy route because that's the only way it's going to happen for you. But I would be in these teenagers lives for multiple years doing work with them and they'd become 18 and i would walk to them and I'll bring them this college acceptance letter or this grant letter or a scholarship or an opportunity for them to stop or start a business because they worked for it and they earned it and they would cry, but they weren't joy cries. They were sorrow, grief cries. And I'm assuming it's usually that grief you tuck away forever because you think you won't make it. And then when you make it, it hurts that you made it because of whatever narratives had been controlling you this whole time. And at that moment, sometimes people feel like, I don't know if I can go any further. And what I want to remind folks is these moments that feel like disaster are us doing that acronym. It's the first time at it. What is it called?
1: First attempt in learning.
0: The first attempt in learning, because what happens is now you know what it looks like. Now you know what it smells like. Now you know when it's coming for you from ten miles away, and you can not only expect it and be uh, prepared for it, but comically enough, you can kind of chuckle at it and say, "Oh, you think you' gonna come get me this time? Nah, I know how to do you." And you can go with what you've learned the first time. And so your next one is tying up. Your laces, which you say
1: is different from pulling yourself up from the bootstraps.
0: Right. Because pulling yourself up by the bootstraps is this perspective that no matter what you're going through, you're supposed to have this like non human strength in the face of absolutely anything from discrimination to lynching that you should have the ability to walk forward with your chest out and strong and take it on. And you know, like one, that's not sustainable or healthy. And then three, you're going to burn yourself out. And so this tying up your laces. Before you go for anything, you gotta get yourself together. So what I'm saying is, don't go out into the world saying, I just gotta figure it out. Tying up your laces is a planned process. Don't you remember being a kid and someone had to teach you how? And even if you didn't have no one to teach you how, you still had to figure out a way to get them shoes on and keep them on, because there's nobody in the world in the United States of America walking barefoot for the eight hour day straight, unless you're in your home, because you might harm yourself. So to protect your feet, you got to figure out how to do this. And to tie your laces, there's a process. You learn about the looping, you learn how to tie it. Somebody might have to support you. There's all these realistic stages of you knowing how to tie those shoes. And so what I'm saying is be, be strong and be sustainable, but be real about the process. Be supported, be taught, expect to be shown when it's hard. Ask for support. Humility. These are the type of things that allow you to tie your laces. And then, when you tie them laces and you're ready to go, remember those kids that, you you they ready to play with all the other kids. You gotta catch them and stop them. Now, nah, baby, you gotta tie them laces up first. As soon as you tie them laces and they know they can go run and catch up with those other kids, the joy on that body. The joy in that spirit. You want to create that possibility. And so tying up your laces involves preparation and planning. Because you know it's difficult and you know you need to prepare yourself with the right resources. So it's about being intentional.
1: And and being able to accept support. Because a lot of times, particularly for people of color, that is a, a challenge because we've always based on what you said, we've always had to be, you know, strong and appear that we have it all together. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is entrepreneurship is is never a journey that you can do on your own. You've got to do it in partnership, you've got to do it with support. And so What have been some of your experiences around that, like gaining the support, particularly in in advocacy work, like what that looks like?
0: I think that it's, you know, as the years go by, it increasingly becomes difficult for people to develop support because we're more saturated in an economic system that is about um, pushing the machine in you. And so the scarcity causes people to not be as connected. So the first thing that I want to say is, is that in in gaining support, you can't expect support these days. You have to be an active participant in gathering your support. One, knowing who's around you and who's for you. And who's for you, meaning it's not transactional. It's support is not transactional. Transactional is you paid for somebody to do something or you gave something of yourself. When I talk about support, I mean, someone sees you. They understand who you are and where you're coming from. And you've been communicating your needs. And there's different versions of that. There's different capabilities in that, but you have to use your voice in some type of way. And I've learned the hard way. I have to say that, you know, if you're listening right now and I'm like, I'm dropping this business, right? I'm dropping some wisdom pieces, but I'm not dropping. Wisdom pieces because I'm sitting on a pedestal is because I've struggled the fight, right? I've struggled this journey. And so, in me overcoming, I've learned these lessons. So, I'm not talking from a place of perfection. And so, getting the support means one, remembering that when you show that you're down, sometimes people are still not going to get it. That's one thing I learned. I could be bleeding and screaming for help, and folks will still be like, Oh, y'all, good. She got it. she going to be all right. And I think that when you're an entrepreneur, for you to weather the storm of an entrepreneur, you got to have a backbone. So, you probably see more sustainable than you really should be seeming and so that means you might have to stretch your reach a little bit further and actually look into some people's eyes and say yo I need you right now I think that being an entrepreneur means you're moving at a pace that others are not moving at because they're controlled by a machine and you're moving at your own pace And because of that, you're not aligned with the routine of outside the nine to five routine. And so if you're going to reach into a different routine and a different way of being from the others around you, you got to let them know that you're there because they might not notice. Am I making sense? how I'm breaking it down. Well, I'm glad you said that, that.
1: Support isn't always transactional because I think that we are kind of trained to think that yes, that it that it always is. And so that before I can ask for support or for help, I've got to be able to offer something up for for someone to be, e- even want to see me or talk to me. And I know it's been my experience that you know, or I you know I've been told you know you should charge somebody for you know you you've given somebody this this information or you've shown somebody how to do that like you know, you should charge somebody for that. But I know that I've been the the benefactor of a lot of free wisdom, of a lot of help and a lot of support. And and I think that, yeah, there are things that we absolutely could pay and charge people for, but I I think it's a really important point that you bring up that not everything in this world has to be transactional. It would be a really sad place if everything we did was transactional, Um, even if we're looking at business. Sometimes you just need the support and there are people to support you. And sometimes it comes outside of the community as well. Mm -hmm. You know that like, you know, you can't always look for your folks um, or your community to help you that um, if you ask for the help, it can come from some really um, surprising,
0: and some amazing places. Yeah, I'm going to, uh, I'll give you an example. You know, obviously, black women talking about justice, saying things like walk away from the plantation. Some would assume that I'm like anti every other race and I'm only pro black. And that's not the case at all. I'm just clear about what we deserve and what it takes for us in the now to get there, even if I don't know what it takes for us in the long term. And um, I, I reached out to some of my peers, my colleagues, and my friends that are white during this time. And I said, you know, while I was down, I did some research on the stock market and I did some research about how to invest money and wealth and all these things. And my question to you is, if you are my ally or if you are my friend and you know all these things and you see me struggling or you see me working hard as an entrepreneur, why you didn't put me up on game? And then I start to ask questions. Do you take me seriously? Is it my color, my race, my gender, my presentation? Why you might think that the work that I do is cute rather than I am a CEO right? Those are two different perspectives. And I don't know if some of those perspectives that I'm coming up with are my own insecurities or my own narratives. But what I do know is you had a resource that you use every day, that is a skill that you use every day easily, that you have had been privileged to have it passed on to you. You're observing me not have that. And you did not automatically share it. And so the people that would automatically share it are the people that are in your lives that are not transactional. That's why I use that example. But it's still worth it to make the mention because sometimes people are not aware that they are being transactional. Right. So when I mentioned that, I have one colleague and friend slash person that actually has worked for the human root that immediately she was like, Oh, let me introduce you to these five successful black women that their career is an investment, right? And it's just like as soon as I said it, the support was there. And I I didn't get so bent out of shape about the lack of what was there i named it then i saw how they would respond before i had a perspective or a judgment about that person because sometimes when people become aware they're willing and they didn't even know that they were lacking
1: yeah a friend of mine said that to me it's funny you're saying this because he said this to me just two days ago he said no one's going to sit and go i wonder what you need but if you do ask then they all they can say is you know what yes i can help you or or i can't help you but i know somebody else who who can right and, and also knowing also know the folks who don't who don't show up at all And that's fine as
0: well. We need to know how to hear no. I mean, like this whole convenience of yes and everything in our lives because of like technology and the culture we live in. Like we need to have these backbones. Like if you can't hear no, you don't know how to go to the next.
1: And, And we all know, I think we all have that testimony that the next is really where we should have been to begin with right yes and so you're upset that this person told you no and sometimes you can be stuck on the fact that this person told you no whereas as soon as you get to the next yes you're like oh my gosh like this is where i was supposed to be this is exactly where i'm supposed to be
0: so. Also, we're, the entitlement to the yeses, I think, is toxic to our journey. Like, I think that if we want these yeses automatically, that we're having an expectation of ease and we're not going to be able to deal with the naysayers and the people that are either jealous or competitive with us, even though there's enough room for everybody, without knowing how to experience resistance. Experience resistance creates resilience. A-
1: absolutely. There's a book that I, I can't remember right now, but even though... So I think there's also a fear of the yes or fear that people Mm. won't say yes to. So I think that's that's a real thing too. And the book, um, hopefully it'll come to me before we finish this conversation, but it was a gentleman who um, decided to go out and ask folks to do some really crazy things. And they all. And he was surprised at how many of them all said yes. And, 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 and The Exercise, it's a great book because The Exercise, or and you can find him on YouTube. Um, his name is Jian Zhang. For instance, um, he's an Asian guy and he was in Texas and he had a soccer ball, and he rang somebody's doorbell. And he said, and these are he just decided like for thirty days, thirty, or sixty days, I'm going to, Push myself to ask questions and see what the response is. It and is. so he shows up this, at this guy's door, um, big Texan, big white Texan, and he's just like, "I'd like to play soccer in your backyard." And then he said the guy looked at him like, "You want to play soccer in my backyard?" And he said, "Yes, I'd like to play." He has a soccer ball. He has everybody else with him. He's like, "I'd like to play soccer in your backyard," and the guy goes, "Okay," and he opens up the backyard so that he can, um, you know, do that. He um, went to a donut spot where they, they, you know, they have a set way of how they do their donuts. And he said that he wanted the um, Olympic design for donuts. And he said the woman was really puzzled and she said, OK. And she went back and she came. And if you watch the video, he'll show the picture of this woman who literally like put together all of these, this Olympic, the the Olympic logo um, simply because he asked. So I think that there's this opportunity to um in, in what we're discussing to encourage people to um, yeah, you might get a no, right? But you might be surprised at the guesses.
0: I am just now learning to put myself out there like that. And I think that because my real dream, I didn't believe enough that other people would believe in it too. Oh. And so I never really exposed my real dream. Like the human root is like 5% of the dream, right? There's this right. dream I've had since I was a teenager and what I want it to look like. I want a space of land with a youth farm on it where I can have a wellness center for young people. I did not know that young people survive surviving from gun violence would become the thing because no one knew that this would happen to me. But I want a space where there's therapy, there's acupuncture, there's after school programming, and there's education happening for young people because I've been working with young people for 25 years and I have a gift with it. And I spent, and the human root doesn't even work with young people. They work with adults that work with young people, you know? So I not only moved my plan, changed it to working with adults, but doing that showed me how possible the big dream really is. And then I just got to start asking. I want an acre of land. I want a building that holds up to 200 people throughout the day. And I want to be able to have space for a youth farm so that young people can learn to be entrepreneurs too and reconnect to agriculture because our history took us from it. It's simple. I'm not asking for a lot. For some people, they'd be like, what? (laughs) That's easy. It's only been three weeks since I realized I needed to start talking like that.
1: Yeah. And so, which is interesting, right? Because we're talking about the yeses and the noes, but a big piece of this is being able to say yes to yourself.
0: Right. So I had to say yes to my dream. Yeah. My real dream, not the dream that everybody else, wa- the human root is what everybody else wanted from me. And I had to do that to realize that it wasn't fulfilling me and I was actually getting used up. I wasn't my body was not experiencing a healthy journey for me to say I have to do this differently. And then when I did that, I remembered the dream because I found notes on it from the past. And I was like, oh, you got to refocus this dream and have the human root take you there. right. Right.
1: And, you know, it's interesting because, um, you
0: know, it, it, even in
1: my company, Storytellers, I mean, a big part of what we do when we work with entrepreneurs is to keep people focused on where they started. Because sometimes you start your entrepreneurial journey with a dream and then just dealing with life, right? Dealing with, you know, trying to get people paid, getting these new contracts, um, growing, evolving. Sometimes you literally forget why you started in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And so it is always important to 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 keep looking and keep asking yourself, all right, am I am I on um, am I on the path? And if, and if the path is evolving, that's fine too, but it's it's making sure that you're clear about what you're evolving. Well, I
0: think that when we become disconnected from ourselves, when we're spending ourselves, it becomes really dangerous. I think that you allow yourself to become more chaotic in the sense mm-hmm. that you are in one place in your mind, you're in one place in your heart, and then your body's doing another because maybe your heart belongs to you, your body belongs to who you work for or who you're serving. And then your mind is trying to put the two together. And when that's happening, that disarray can be really taxing. And so staying connected to the dream or the focus or where you started, it's not to determine where you're headed, but it's at least for you to understand where your lane is, where, what freeway you're on, what state you're in, what page you're on, you know?
1: Uh, It's okay to change, right? It's okay to evolve. I mean, the big word, for 2020 was pivot, right? Because so many people found themselves, nobody knew what to do in this environment. And so the, the people who were able to evolve and move quickly were able to still sustain their businesses. So you don't have to be married to a, a particular way of doing things. That's also important to recognize how important it is to change.
0: I had to realize that my getting sick and going through what I went through gave me an opportunity to see the vision even clearer. And so it's not like I'm changing the plan. I'm reinventing and redeveloping it. And you can't stop being you. So whatever your original plan was, that's still in you and a part of that work. And I think that most entrepreneurs know that like, kind of go at a few different things before you really find the golden egg. The one that not only pleases the market, but pleases you too. I think that that takes going at it more than a few times times to really get a momentum in that, that, that behavior.
1: Um, So as you're on this journey, you know, we've had a couple of guests who have talked about, you know, the, you know, sometimes you wonder what you go through in life and you have all of these experiences and you recognize that all of your experiences, even the really painful ones, the disappointing ones, or the adventures that you've experienced have all, at the end of the day, all serve the purpose in this entrepreneurial journey. Um, I I know that's been the, the same for you.
0: Absolutely. Yesterday I was in the car with my mother visiting her and she, uh, she said, didn't you major in business? I said, mommy, I have never majored in business in a day in my life. But she would assume that because of how I get down. Right. And I was reminding her, I was like, don't you remember when we were going through it? I learned how to manage our finances when I was like 12. And so I was balancing our expenses to make sure that, you know, the bills got paid. And we, when we hit zero before the end of the month, that at least everything was taken care of so that our circumstances wouldn't get any more challenging. But I probably spent a good amount of time in my high school years and my first couple of years of being out of high school, being really butthurt that I was a kid doing that. Not just butthurt, but I think I was de- I was dealing I what not I think I know I was dealing with levels of trauma emotionally based on being withdrawn from my childhood because I had to grow up so quickly. I was bitter about it, resentful about it. But let me tell you, even right now, I didn't get to look at my bank, my taxes. I didn't get on email. I didn't leave my house for six months. I didn't touch nothing for almost twelve. And I was I'm able to pull everything back together in a matter of sixty days because I. I understand money and I understand money because my world forced me to at a young age something that I was pissed about, heard about. But I know for a fact, all those skills from me collecting bottles and turn them in, turning them in for money at the end of the week when I was in middle school or balancing that checkbook with my mom or four for, my, for her, like all those things gave me what I got now.
1: And so what can we expect from the human root
0: going forward? I feel like some of what I do has to remain, the vision of what I do has to remain silent just to be safe. Um, Because I think that when you are liberated to a particular degree, if you have any type of intentions of overdoing it in the perspective of others, other people will want you to stop. And so for me, I think that I'll be honest with the public and say when I do the work that I do, I'm always balancing wanting to not make myself a threat in my own life because of creating liberation for others while also creating as much liberation as possible. So I figure, you know, one of the best ways to do that is just to create learning spaces. The United States is struggling in the sphere of education. And so, I'm looking to get physical spaces in in places like Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Brooklyn for young people to learn about who they are so that they are more motivated about who they are, so they go out into the world and they pursue their dreams at a greater level. I think people have been doing this for years, but the magic in the human root is is that we're doing it with a perspective of understanding how institutions and isms and discriminations are impacting your emotional health so that you know how to battle the day in a way that allows you to start thriving in your days. So you're not just surviving, that you're thriving. And so if I was to say concretely, what does that look like? That looks like individuals coming from schools, nonprofits and institutions to do retreats at the Human Roots compound at its space so that they can take a breath and re-center themselves. That looks like families with their children coming to that space and getting the healing work that they need. So we have a line of educators We have a line of healing practitioners, acupuncture therapists that are just waiting for the human root to grow. People I've learned and met in my career that are saying, as soon as you get what you get, please call me because I'm ready to go to do this work. So right now, I just got to get back on my feet economically so that I can get these physical buildings set up. The human root will continue to do its anti-bias professional development trainings that we do for institutions and schools and nonprofits. We're going to shift doing 50% virtual and 50% in live in in person, because I want to start focusing my energy at creating larger spaces for people to come to, to detach from the things that are stressing them out. And I, and this is multi generational. So today, if if
1: someone were interested in your services, you mentioned that their schools and nonprofits, those are the those are the types of clients. And what type? What might someone expect to experience or what would they be contracting you for if a school or a business were to reach out to you?
0: A lot of times what's happening in our society right now, it's become circumstantial. Initially, it would be that in the workplace, you want your staff to be more informed about how they project themselves and show up with the clients that they serve. So if they're teachers, how are you showing up with your students? If you're a case management agency for, for clients that are dealing with drug and alcohol recovery, how are you engaging with them? What biases and judgments are showing up? We take that information and we say, how does that impact your policies and your practices and your procedures? And what things can change in the course of this next year 12 to 24 months that can change the lifespan of your company, as well as the trajectory of all your staff and what they believe about what it is that they do at this work in their company. So that's what it looks like as far as why people reach out to us on a typical point of view. But right now, when the st- the pot is being stirred so ferociously around who, how we engage with each other around our identities and you know collective violence, I have been getting called to intervene and to also mediate and to create spaces where people can see possibility in the midst of conflict. So that looks like an agency or a nonprofit or an executive director or a CEO or an administrator possibly doing something that has offended the people that they serve or their Mm -hmm. counterparts. It's getting in the way of where that work of that company or that institution should be headed. So we'll come in and say, Again, let's talk about what the crisis is. Now, this is a crisis thing. Consultation. We do our consult and we create a unique plan for you to develop over a course of time towards what you would like. The pie in the sky, the dream. We want to be able to look at each other at work. You know, a lot of people are coming back to work at e- right now that used mm-hmm. to have great relationships. But based on how they experienced the world while they were away right. from each other, they might not love each other the same way they did. They not, might not work with each other the same way that they did because they've been traumatized by the experience of society. And so they might call the human root to get people to get reconnected again. But with purpose, not just a bunch of kumbaya community activities, but saying, how do we do this work and how can we take it to the next level? Well, if people are interested in getting in touch with you, how would they do so? The best thing to do is go to the human route. That's the fastest way. We have a request form where you request services. You get an idea of what is going on for you. And, and what we do is we do a free 30 minute informational consult call to make sure we're a fit. The reason why is because as a black woman, if I'm getting called by an institution that has been practicing things that are egregiously offensive to people of color, for example, I have to make sure I understand why they want this work, what the intention of the work is and what their desired outcomes are. Because if it's just a checklist, I'd rather you go with another company. If you're here to actually take some look internally into your company and yourself so that you can support the people that work for you, let's do this work. Thank you so much. Anyawu. And if, if people are interested in um, working with
1: you, they should go to the humanroot.com. Um, they can also follow you. Uh, what what are your
0: handles on Instagram? So at the human root um, for Instagram and you can I'm always open to folks, you know, adding me on my personal page, too, because I am who I am in all things. It doesn't stop at work. So Anyawu three. It's just Anyawu and the number three. Okay.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today and we wish you much success and we look forward to following up on you later on and in the future thank
0: you remember business first y'all business first if you don't know about your business and you ain't planning for it where are you heading <laughs> that's right i
1: couldn't say it better um so please follow us on, on spotify iHeartRadio, amazon wherever you get your podcast please stay posted um communicate with us we'd love to hear from you and stay connected thanks for listening Business First is hosted and produced by Sonia Aline. Associate Producer, Lauren Turner. Edited by Ken Johnson. Executive Producers, Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the Business First Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Business First Podcast is a Mean Old old-line Media and Say It Loud Network production.